First Kings 19, and we'll just read the first three verses. Please keep your Bible open. <clears throat> First Kings 19, verse 1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also. If I make not thy life, the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. Now we don't want to do a big recap on last week, but we looked at Elijah's fame. How after the fire coming down from heaven and consuming the sacrifice. Uh, Elijah rebuilt, repaired the altar. Elijah is in the northern kingdom of the house of Israel. It's Elijah in chapter 17 who goes to Ahab, uh, the, the husband, the king in Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel, and declares there'll be no dew nor rain according to his word. Now he has called fire down, as it were, from heaven. God has answered his prayer. He has slain 450 prophets of Baal. And now Ahab is away to tell Jezebel exactly what he's done. So his fame was among the people. They're crying, the Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. When the fire came down from heaven. And now Ahab is telling Jezebel, just what he has done in slaying the prophets of Baal. So we're going to look not only at more of uh, Elijah, but we're going to start where we left off last week, just briefly on Jezebel. We started with Elijah's fame, and then Jezebel was Elijah's foe. Verse 2, And Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. So here we have the foe is Jezebel. Remember, Jezebel is a controlling, manipulative spirit. Uh, Jezebel was a Zidonian. She worshipped other gods, and behind those other gods were demonic influences. And so when we think of these things, we think of today the manipulation of the masses, the controlling of the peoples. We see it in society, from government, we see it everywhere today. That spirit that is ruling over the nation, but also as Jezebel ruled over the northern kingdom in Israel, so we have it in our nation this very day. We also have that manipulating spirit, which brings in other false gods, if you want, uh, false religions that worship so-called Deities, but rather they are worshipping demonic spirits behind it. I'll show you in a little moment or two. If you will, turn with me to Revelation, please. The Revelation of Jesus Christ. And go to chapter 3, please. <clears throat> Pardon me, chapter 2. Chapter 2, please. Now, just for time's sake, we won't read it all. Verse 18. 
And unto the angel of the church of Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass. I know thy works, and charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed and count them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he which searches the reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as I love, I, pardon me, as many as I have not this doctrine, which, and which have not known the depths of Satan. Please underline that. I want to read that verse again, for I misread it. But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan. This is Jezebel's doctrine, satanic doctrine, satanic worship, manipulation and control here, even of the church. As they speak, I will put upon you none other burden, but that which ye have already, hold fast, Till I come, and he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. This Jezebel, some commentators think it was a literal woman. Some even think it was the minister, the pastor's wife in Thyatira. But some really think that it was just uh, the Lord was giving us uh, an idea of what would happen in time. So the seven churches are literal churches in Asia. And the seven churches, the Lord speaks to each one of them, Revelation 2, Revelation 3. It starts with Ephesus, and it finishes with Laodicea. Thyatira is the fourth church mentioned, the fourth letter written to it. And so Thyatira means ruled by a woman. And of course, they are literal churches. All of the things that are happening in those churches may happen in any assembly even today, and we can learn from it and know how to deal with these things. But then there are prophetical church ages from Ephesian church, the first church he writes to uh, at the beginning of the, the, the Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, and the church ages the whole way through, coming up through time, right until today, which would be the seventh church. Seven is the number of completion, Seven is the number of perfection. We are at that time in our lives, in the history of the church and the world, where you and I are at the Laodicean age church, the lukewarm church, the church that can't be bothered, the church that isn't hot for Christ, nor refreshingly cold, but lukewarm, and he wants to spew the church out of his mouth. Now, Thyatira, ruled by a woman, is about the Middle Ages as it's known. It is the Roman church. And it's after the works of Satan according to the scripture. Things that have happened there. And so then you see when you finish with Thyatira church. 
in chapter 3, we go on to Sardis. We see those who are going through persecution. And then we go on to Philadelphia. And that is the church of brotherly love, it's known as. That's the times of the Wesleys and, and, and Whitfield and, and all of that sort of period right up. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, great missionary endeavor when the church was really getting it together to reach out for Christ. But this woman, Jezebel, who's mentioned the wife of Ahab in the northern kingdom of Israel, this woman, she is controlling the nation. She is manipulating the people. In other words, she's in government and she's also in religion. This woman is so manipulative that her husband does exactly what he is told rather than being the head, the priest of the household, which the husband in Christ should be. But notice this. This woman is the foe of Elijah. And so since we have looked at the foe, we want to move on. Go to 1 Kings 19. What I'll do sometime is I'll go through those seven churches in detail, and we'll look at it prophetically, literally, and spiritually. 1 Kings 19, and we want to look at Elijah's fear. That's where we are starting from this morning. Elijah's fear. Verse 3, and when he saw that, so this man is sent from Jezebel, and when he saw that, he arose and went for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. Now notice, we told you last week that fame can be dangerous. And this fame brought this foe, Jezebel. And this foe has now become very dangerous to Elijah. So let's have a wee look at it. Jezebel sends a messenger. Now we have to ask ourselves, why did Jezebel not just get up, take the armies and go without giving any warning? Why would she do that? So I've thought about this and I've pondered over this. You see, Elijah is the man by this time knows the Lord. He's had to know the Lord when he was uh, going to King Ahab to tell him there'd be no dew nor rain in 1 Kings 17 when he just appears because he had to have the word of the Lord to know it wasn't going to rain. So he comes with the word of the Lord. So he knows the Lord. He's seen the Lord move in manifest power and glory by the fire coming out of heaven and consuming the sacrifice and the altar altogether. He's seen the manifest glory and presence of God. This man knows Yahweh. But one word, I need you to catch this church because this is happening to people in their personal lives. And this is happening to people in their church life. This is happening to people in our national life. This is happening to people all over. Fear is reigning in many hearts. I, for one, believe in faith over fear. Notice this. Elijah had slew 450 prophets of Baal. Elijah knows God, but one word, one word from Jezebel, 
One word from this satanic woman. One word from her. And it says he arose and went for his life. Just because of one word. He arose and went for his life. Listen to Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Elijah failed at the very point at which he was strongest. And that is where most men fail. In scripture, it is the wisest man who proves himself to be the greatest fool. Just as the meekest man, Moses, spoke hasty and bitter words. Abraham failed in his faith and Job in his patience. So he who was the most courageous of all men fled from an angry woman. But Jezebel was no ordinary woman. Jezebel was a wicked woman. Jezebel was a powerful woman. Jezebel was a witch of a woman. Jezebel was a satanically inspired woman. And Jezebel sent out one word. One word. And this great prophet of courage up sticks and ran. Is it possible? This is what I thought. She sends a messenger and doesn't go herself. Is it possible that she was testing Elijah's response to what she had said? Is it possible that she was testing Elijah's response because she was aware? Notice, she was aware of Elijah's God with him. Even when Elijah wasn't, she was aware of Elijah's God being with him. She knew Elijah's God was living, was real, was the Almighty, was with him. And could it be that she was more aware of Elijah's God being with Elijah than Elijah was of his God being with him? That's the problem, brothers and sisters, and most with a lot of Christians. The enemy is aware that your God is with you. The enemy is aware with many Christians that God is on their side. And the enemy is aware, sees the Lord, as it were, with you, all over you and in you when you're walking with Christ. And so the first thing he'll try to do is to destroy you. And if he can't destroy you, then he will try different means and methods. And that may be by sending a messenger with a word of negativity and fear. You know what I'm saying. Fear comes through negative words. Fear comes when the devil sends someone or brings something into your path and into your life and you're lying in bed worried about it, him or her or it, or thinking about it, and you feel, I want to run away from all of this. Fear cripples you. Fear of an illness. Fear of the future. Fear for your life. Fear for your family. Fear for your spouse. Fear for your home. Fear cripples the man and the woman in their mind. It reaches their heart and they die spiritually in their fear. Now fear has two meanings. 
There's a healthy fear that tells us to run when we need to. And there's an unhealthy fear that tells us to run all the time. For example, a healthy fear tells me when I go and stand at that footpath and the road is going along and the cars are up and down, healthy fear tells me to look both ways and make sure there's no traffic before I cross. That's normal, that's natural. If we were in a jungle and a lion roared and ran at us, a healthy fear would be to run. An unhealthy fear says when you get to that road, never cross that road. That's the unhealthy fear. Cripples us, paralyzes the man and the woman, and the saint, the, 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 the blood-washed, redeemed child of God lives, some of them live continually in fear. So I believe that this woman may have been looking and saying, I'll send a messenger, even if he gets offside or out of our way, I'll let him know. In other words, she was a bully. And Elijah allowed the fear of this bully to come into his heart and into his mind. And he rose and fled. She knew God was with him. And Elijah, although he had experienced all these things, and knew God was with him and for him, listened to one negative word. One voice from this angry, demonic woman. And he rose and fled. Listen, Moses, for example, in Exodus 34, we're told in verse 29 when he came down the mount, Moses wist not that the skin of his face shone while he talked with them. In verse 30, And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come nigh him. Everyone in the camp of Israel, by this time, who were acting up, who had risen up to play, as it were, and others have great uh, wild parties, to put it in a, in a tame version. When Moses comes down the mount from the presence of God, the skin of his face is shining, and he veils his face. Notice Moses put his mask on when he came out of God's presence, not into it. Moses put his mask on when he came out of God's presence, not when he went into it. Because the skin of his face shone, and they realized God is with him. God is with him. The anointing is upon him. And he had to veil his face for their fear. In other words, they had given themselves over to wickedness, to false worship, to the enemy. They had given themselves over to this. And when Moses comes down, he has reflective glory of God. Been there so long with him, the glory of God was still on him. And I love about the Lord Jesus Christ, he doesn't have reflective glory, he has projective glory. Because he's God and it comes through his flesh. So Elijah should have known should have remembered God was with him. Secondly, she gave Elijah 24 hours to live. I want you to catch this, brothers and sisters. I wonder how many of us would put our hands up 
and would admit. You don't have to, by the way. Don't do it. But would admit. Some nights in bed, the enemy comes, whispers in your ear, talks of doom and gloom and impossibilities, valleys and mountains, and all you can think of is all of that. And the devil's at you the whole way through the night watches. Me. Happens to me all the time. What do you do? Remember the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. Elijah has been given 24 hours to live. Does Elijah not know when does Jezebel not realize that it is God who is the author of life and God is the author of death? And it's only when he says so that a man and woman will pass from this scene of time. Why? Because he's still sovereign. And he is still in control. Notice, she gave Elijah 24 hours to live. Chapter 19, verse 2. So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them, that is of the prophets of Baal that he had slain, by tomorrow about this time. So Elijah listened and fear came in. Elijah needed to listen to what God had said. Elijah needed to rehearse the things God had told him. Elijah needed to get a better perspective on things. See when you get into prayer, brothers and sisters, see when you open the word of God, you'll get a far different perspective than the one the devil gives you. Lord, I don't know if we're going to make ends meet this month or this week because of maybe whatever financial burdens. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I'm spiritually weak and low and down. I feel so empty. And Lord, I don't know how I'm going to get through this situation with my health and so on and so on. And the devil comes and he hammers your mind. He takes it like a, a battlefield. And there he just explodes all of these great big bombs into your life. And the fear comes in. But when you get into prayer, into fellowship, and when you get the word of God open, it's there. The word of God trumps the word of the devil. Who believes that? Who believes the word of God trumps the word of the devil at any time? Jesus fought the devil in the wilderness with the word of God. It is written, it is written, it is written. And notice here, Elijah needed to get a different perspective on things, a heavenly perspective, a godly perspective on the things that had come against him. So here's what I've written. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Elijah could see the drought before it happened in chapter 17, as the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand to be neither Jew nor in these years, according to my word. He could see it happening before it happened. Why? Because his perspective, he had been before God. Elijah could see the fire of God falling before it came. In chapter 18 and verse 24, 
And the fire of God fell from heaven and consumed the sacrifice. Elijah says, you build your altar to the prophets of Baal and I'll build the altar, repair the altar of as it were. In fact, the word repair there is the word heal. To bring healing as in healing to a body. To bring healing to something that is sick and injured. And the altar of the Lord needed healing. Maybe that's what's wrong, brothers and sisters. We need to start healing the altar of the Lord. The altar in your home, the altar of your heart. He's seen the fire falling. He knew it was going to fall. You build your altar. I'll build one to Yahweh. And the God that answers by fire, will he be the God? And of course, the Lord sent the fire. So he's seen the fire fall before it came. And he heard an abundance of rain before there was even hardly a cloud in the sky. He tells his servant, go out of the cave and look and see if there's any clouds in the sky. Three and a half years down the line from uh, 1 Kings 17. From 1 Kings 17 to 1 Kings 18 and 41, there's a three and a half year gap there. There's no rain in the, in the kingdom of the northern kingdom of Israel. There's no dew in the ground. There's no water and there's famine. Yet Elijah says, keep looking to the sky. Because there's going to come a cloud. There's going to be rain. There's going to be glory. And brothers and sisters, why do we always look to the ground? Why do we always look in defeat? And why do we even look inside? Look up and lift up your head for your redemption draweth nigh. In Christ, you'll see as it were the cloud the size of a man's hand as Elijah did. The cloud the size of a man's hand. And he says, tell Ahab to get up and go. I'm paraphrasing, for there's a sound of an abundance of rain. No, there wasn't. Only in the spirit could he hear the sound before it came. Now, this man had all of this, and he heard one negative word from this woman. He had one threat from the messenger that was sent. And here Elijah is up and running for fear. Brothers and sisters, the devil's a liar. The devil's a liar, and he's the father of lies. He can see all of this, hear all of this, but he can't see past the threat of this woman. I went to Marie Curie a few years back. In fact, it wasn't, pardon me. It was the one in Uri I went to, wasn't it, Marie Curie? The hospice. And there's a woman getting treatment. She was afraid. She's a Roman Catholic woman. And was asked to go and see her. A real beautiful lady. She was a lovely, lovely lady. Just ladylike everything about her. And I went to see her and I'll not mention her name. And he says, well, what, are you, what, what are you thinking? She says, I'm afraid. She felt she couldn't get any help from the priest in the sense of the word and encouragement much. So I went to see her and I says, what are you afraid of? And she was, her bed was here and her windows were here. It was a lovely day. And, and she says, well, I don't know what's next. I says, well, none of us know what's next. And I could be away uh, into eternity before you. I says, let me give you a perspective of things. So the sun was in the sky. And I says, now we're not meant to look at the sun with the naked eye case it damages our eyes. Not right, she says, yes. I says, let me give you some perspective, but there is the sun. I says, now watch. And I done this 
and the, my hand was blocking out the sun. She was able to see the sun shining all around my hand. I says, do you think my hand is bigger than that sun? And she laughed and smiled a bit. She says, it looks like it. I says, but yet that sun is so far away. It's so many millions of miles away. My hand, away down here, a little minute thing, is able to block out the whole sun. She says, that's right. I said, well, here is your perspective on this. The devil comes and the enemy comes to cause you to fear. And instead of seeing the glory of the sun and this fullness, he comes and puts the hand between you and it. And all you can see is his hand. All you can see is his hand. It's as though the sun has been defeated. I says, but perspective is, that hand's minute. The sun is great and massive. And you know, she says, you're right. So I read the scriptures. I says, no, let's remove the hand of the devil. And let's lead you to Christ. And the woman came to Christ. Beautiful lady. It's how you look at this. And people are listening to negativity all day, every day. How do I stop fear coming into my home? Well, first thing is turn off your news. And that's probably about 99% of it. Secondly is get into the word. And see what God says on the matter. Spending time with God will bring a perspective. Spending time in prayer. In the word. With godly company. Notice I said godly company. People that love the Lord. Will bring you a new perspective. Here's a perspective for you. Before we move on. In Matthew 10 and verse 28. The Lord Jesus says. Fear not them which can kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. There's some perspective for you. We're more worried and fearful about the things that are coming on the earth, the things that are coming into our nation. We're more worried about the things that are happening in our society. We're more worried about what the governments say, let alone what the Word of God says. And if we were to fear the Lord with a godly reverence and fear, then we wouldn't fear anybody else. We'd fear none. Elijah's fame brought Elijah's foe. It brought Elijah's fear. Now, I'm not going to get into the politics of this. And I'm not going to get into the, the theological side of this. But how come is it, brothers and sisters, this week, when we hear of a new DUP leader, Mr. Poots, 
I'm not going to get involved in his politics nor his theology. This is what I want to talk to you. How come is it that the first thing is attacked is his Christian belief? How come is it that that's the first thing that's attacked is Christian belief? He believes this and that and the other, and that's okay. I may not agree with him, but that's neither here nor there. I'm not saying I don't, but that's neither here nor there. But everyone from secular right into politics to every political party almost, how is it it that his beliefs have been brought up because he's a Christian to lead the party? How is it that that is okay to do that? But Mr. Khan, the mayor, newly elected again, re-elected again of London. I wonder did anybody say you can't be the mayor because you're a Muslim? How can this man lead us? He's a Muslim. How can this man deal right with us? He's a Muslim. See, brothers and sisters, it's not the attack on Allah. And it's not an attack on Muhammad. It's an attack on the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because Allah is not that God. And it's an attack on our Lord Jesus Christ. And the gospel of saving grace and the word of God, that's the attack. Now, Mr. Poots and the DUP, it's time to take your stand. And if you believe what you believe, then take your stand and what you believe. And you might as well die on that than die on your knees under the cosh of somebody else. Maybe that's too late. Notice, Elijah's fame, Elijah's foe, Elijah's fear, Elijah's flight. Chapter 19 and verse 4. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree that he requested for himself that he might die. Notice that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. You underline that. That's says this great man who's seen and heard all things before they happen, manifest glory and power of God. Now he's going, I'm no better than my father's. Take my life. It shows a humanity of him. That everybody can hurt. But he alone went a day's journey into the wilderness. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, being alone, sometimes being alone, or in those solitary moments can be beneficial. It's good sometimes to have time alone, especially time alone with God. There's nothing wrong with that. That's okay, and that's good. But in Elijah's condition, I want you to get this. People struggling. In Elijah's condition, at this point, at this point we're reading, it can be unhelpful. And dangerous to be alone. It can be unhelpful and dangerous to be alone. Listen, Elijah requested for himself that he might die. So here is Elijah's fainting. His fear brought flight. 
he went a day's journey, and here is Elijah's fainting. Either Elijah's heart wasn't really in that prayer, and he didn't really mean it, and God knew that. Or God had a completely different thought on Elijah. A different reason for Elijah's existence. A different purpose in Elijah's life that he might live for God. You know, we talk about martyrs dying for God God, and it's horrific when you read Fox's book of martyrs and books like that. It's horrific. Absolutely horrific. But sometimes, brothers and sisters, it's even harder to live for God because of what's around us. And it's going to get harder. So you better dig deeper. God did not answer Elijah's prayer the way Elijah asked. And I thought of that and I wrote, Lord, thank you you did not answer some of my prayers the way I've asked you to. That you've always had my life in your hands. They've always been for a purpose and you're here for a purpose. God has you in this life with this breath, with this heartbeat at this moment in time for a purpose in this nation, in this country. Who knows whether thou comest to the kingdom for such a time as this, Esther was told. People coming behind you in the faith may need you, brother, and need you, sister, and need you strong. They need you to be wise, further down the road, spiritually strong in Christ, knowing the word with some sort of grit in you that God and the Holy Ghost and his word has put within you. Because people are going to need you. God willing, and next week, we're not finished, we're running this up now. Next week, in the Lord's will, I'm going to look more at Elijah's calling if I get there next week. Elijah said, it is enough now, O Lord. You see, after seeing everything, there was no long-lasting revival in Israel. He thought this is going to be it. The Lord, he is the God. Uh, 1 Kings 17, they're all shouting. The, uh, 18, the Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. And a sporadic sort of a, of a revival started to break out. Now it's died away and he feels all alone again. Well, I think of the, the Welsh revival and the Hebridean revival. I think of the 1859 Ulster revival. And we keep looking back to those, don't we? We keep looking to those and saying, weren't they wonderful? And yes, they were. But, but what happened after that? After 100,000 souls were swept into the kingdom? What happened after that? World wars came. People started to forget God. Troubles came. COVID came. And Christians who I thought were grounded in God were grounded in the Word on the firm foundation of Christ and His blood. They're hiding. 
They're rolling up into a ball. They're pulling the duvets over their head. They're afraid to come out. Men and women, supposedly of God. Where are they? And I'm going to do a 15 minute and say, meeting if you hold on on a Sunday morning. God forgive them. I'm aware I'll answer to God for what I say. God forgive them. There was no one standing with him. There was no fur friends anymore. Sometimes it's better to get rid of them. But only fervent foes all around him. Listen, brother, sister, some of us... I'm going to put this. I'm just going to say it. Right. Some of us in our lives, we lament and we weep and we worry and we become heartbroken over certain people that are no longer in our lives have went on with someone else. Don't mean that they've passed away, but went on in their life or left us behind. Listen, we always talk about God's blessed addition to the church. What? What about God's, God's blessed subtraction? Sometimes God knows what you need and he removes them from you. Isn't that right? Isn't it? He removes them from you. Well, stop crying over them. Stop worrying about them. God has removed them out of your life and he opens the door and brings you into a new company. Disillusionment, disappointment, discouragement, despondent, brings Elijah depression. He's deeply disturbed and dejected in himself. Elijah is now comparing himself to others. He says at the end of verse 4, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. Now, brothers and sisters, this is this point a little bit. I'm going to close after this. He's comparing himself to others. And this is what I've written. Every minute you spend in your life wishing you were like someone else, and every minute you spend in your life wishing you had what they had, you were what they were, whether that is physical, material, financial, or spiritual, is a minute that you've just spent wasting your life on them. God does not want you to compare yourself to him or her. God says you are uniquely you, and he purchased you through the blood of Christ. Don't compare yourself in the words of Paul Washer. Don't compare yourself to other Christians, but compare yourself with Scripture. How are you in the light of this? Because this is what will keep you right. The Word of God. Don't try to find value by comparing yourself to others, but rather find your value and your identity in Christ. Ephesians 3, this is our last scripture. Ephesians chapter 3. 
Let your eye run down the chapter, please. Listen, see if I I ran my life, walked my walk with Christ in comparison to what people either say to me, about me, or try to, as it were, even yes, bully you into going their way, doing their thing, being as they are. And we were, I wouldn't even have a walk. I'd be afraid to come out. It's continuous. But I don't worry about them. I'm more concerned of how I am in standing with him. Notice Ephesians 3, verse 16. Paul writes, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love. Would you say rooted and grounded in love? Now, if you're a believer, would you say, I am rooted and grounded in love? I am rooted. Will you remember that? Will you remember that tomorrow? Will you remember that when the devil throws that negative report to you? When your threat comes? Will you remember that tonight when you're lying in your bed? Will you remember that on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and every day that I am rooted and grounded in love? Since you are in Christ, you are rooted and grounded in love. God loves you. He loves you. Verse 18. Here's what I want for me for my life, for my walk with Christ, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, the length, and the depth, and the height. And to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, unto him, that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Jezebel sends a messenger. If Elijah knew that he's rooted and grounded in love and in Yahweh, in Christ. He had no reason to fear nor flag. Jezebel sends a messenger of fear, of negativity. And our next point in the Lord's will next week, God sends an angel of hope, of consolation, to encourage him, to bless him. Do you know God dispatches angels for you. Do you know that? We'll look a wee bit at it next week. May he dispatch many for each and every one of us for these days that lie ahead. May God bless us all this morning.